0: Title for us this morning is A Threefold Chord. A threefold chord. The book of Ecclesiastes is chock full of wisdom and insight. For example, it's in Ecclesiastes that we read Proverbs like this There is nothing new under the sun. That's chapter 1, verse 9. Or chapter 3, verse 1 For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The birds didn't make that up. That's Ecclesiastes. But another great verse that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes is chapter 4, verse 12. In chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, a threefold cord is not easily broken. That proverb reminds us that though some things might be strong on their own, Say amen if you're listening. They are always much stronger together. It's like you and me. Church, this morning I want to share with you a threefold cord that's found in 1 John chapter 5. I've got two simple points for you, but I want to focus on this threefold cord that's found in 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. So, Let me begin with our first point. That's this, John's reminder. John's reminder. I'm going to read the text with you again very quickly. It says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Jumping down to verse 19. We know that we are from God. Jumping down to verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So to start this first part of our final study in 1 John, we see an almost rhythmic reminder of three things John says we know. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Verse 19, we know that we are from God. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. I want to take these One at a time with you. But to start, I want you to see something. I want you to see that John doesn't say, they know. John doesn't say, the apostles and I know. You see where I'm going with this? John says, we, as in Christians, we know. Say it with me. We know. What do we know? First, we know that we should reject sin. This is an elementary principle in Christianity. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. This is a basic principle, church. John is not saying that we will live perfect lives. In fact, John tells us in chapter 1, That we should repent and ask God for forgiveness, because we're not perfect. And he goes so far as to say that someone who claims to be without sin is a liar. That tells us that John isn't arguing for perfect Christianity here. But John does expect us to be Christians who are striving toward holiness. Christians who are working toward maturity in Christ. Christians who are pressing upward and forward and are calling for God. in God's church, or excuse me, if God's church is going to push back the darkness and make a difference in this culture and in this world, then it must be pure. There is power in purity. Let me say that again. There is power in purity. If we're impure, if we're unholy, we're compromised and our strength will wane. But if we're living pure lives in thought and in action, then we can do great things for God. John says, We know this. We know this. Second, we know that we should be morally and ethically distinct from the world the first thing unfolds into the second no doubt there's power and purity let me say that again that there's power and purity but but we're unfolding now from the first point to the second and this is what i want you to get if we live lives that are holy in accordance with the principles that god has called us to in the scriptures then we will inevitably be seen as distinct from the world. There's a degree to which we wear clothes, and we eat food, and we have family and friends, but otherwise, we shouldn't fit in. Remember what John said in 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Church, this isn't a line that we can walk or a fence that we can ride. We have churches all over our country that are compromising theological and biblical principles of the most rudimentary nature simply because they have allowed the world to come in and corrupt the faith. Jude says... We must protect the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Loved ones, the difference that marks us, our uniqueness, isn't how accepting or tolerant we are of what the Bible calls sin. Because we must live and promote holiness. It isn't how pluralistic our views are, because love rejoices in the truth. It isn't how inclusive we are because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our uniqueness. Our difference in the eyes of the world are the very things that liberalism surrenders in an effort to be accepted. John says it here. The whole world lies in the power of, of the evil one. And the evil one does not rejoice in the goodness and the grace of God. The evil one hates God, and therefore the evil one hates God's people. And we must not be an accomplice to his worldly games. The first of the three chords is we must reject sin. Secondly, we must be distinct from the world. But thirdly, We know that our faith is rooted in Jesus. That's the third thing that we know. Friends, if we get a number of things wrong in Christianity, we most certainly cannot get this wrong. Christianity is centered upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. According to John, at this point, when he says, we know there are two parts of this knowledge. This knowing. Look at the text, if you would, please. This is, again, in verse 20. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come, that's one part, and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. There's two parts of this knowing, this knowledge. First, we know that Jesus, the Son of God, was a historical figure. Real. Real. Tangible. And second, we know that Jesus gives his people understanding. And what's this understanding that Jesus gives his people? John says, you can look at your text, it says, He has given us understanding, there it is, so that we may know him who is true. Interesting choice of word there for true. It can be translated true, but it's even better translated real. Jesus gives us understanding so that we might know him who is real. If anyone knows anything about us, I hope it's that they know we know God. That's the best thing that any Christian could be known by. You see, if we take this at face value, then the understanding that we possess is a gift of grace from Jesus. Our understanding of God is granted to us like a gift is granted to us. John, uh, excuse me, Matthew says, uh, and let me clarify this. Jesus says in Matthew, chapter 11, verse 27, this is what he says. Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Did you get that? No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you know God today, an act of grace has been performed by Jesus in your life. God is not in heaven going, I'm wildly impressed by how intuitive you are. God is not in heaven saying that self-help book that you picked up at Barnes and Noble, wow, that really put you on the right path. God is not in heaven saying that guru you followed after that Oprah Winfrey episode that you watched, that really made a difference in your spiritual life. God knows those who are his. His son reveals him to them. If you are in Christ today, Jesus has revealed God to you. That's how we know him. I'm not sure where you are in your life. I'm not sure if you've given yourself thought. But if you are in Christ, it is an act of grace. From first to last. We know, John says, That's knowledge. Jesus has given us understanding. That's clarity and comprehension about the knowledge. Did you get that? It's one thing to collect data, it's another thing to understand the data. I wonder if you know this morning. I wonder if you know the basics of the Christian faith. And I wonder if, beyond knowing the basics of the Christian faith, I wonder if you understand. I wonder if you know the principles that are our faith that make it unique and special amidst a plethora of belief systems and religions. I wonder if, knowing those things, you understand how those things are made distinct. Among the many, this knowledge and this understanding is granted to us by Jesus. In his helpful book, One Holy Passion, R.C. Sproul talks about the difference between knowledge and understanding and wisdom. He says this, In human terms, there is a great divide between knowledge and wisdom. We know people who are quite knowledgeable but lack common sense a person who a person can have great knowledge and lack wisdom we cannot have wisdom without knowledge but we can have knowledge without wisdom where do we fall you and i are we walking around with a sort of encyclopedic version of christianity Or is our Christianity baptized with an experiential sense to such a point that we've got what I was talking about earlier, a testimony? Not only do I know what the verse says, I've seen that verse on a Monday morning. Not only do I know the story of God's deliverance, as Jan was praying earlier, of Daniel in the lion's den, but I know the God. I understand the God. I have the wisdom of the experience to have seen him deliver me, not just read about it in the book of Daniel. I wonder if we're living our Christianity at an arm's length so that we have a lot of data, but the experiences in our lives are almost completely absent from the process. Well, that would make us pretty pharisaical, wouldn't it? It's exactly what the Pharisees had. A lot of knowledge. No understanding. No wisdom. But John says, in Christianity, there's a threefold cord. And we know it. We know we keep ourselves from sin. We know we're different from the world, and we know who Jesus is and who the Father is. This leads to our second point. After John's reminder, we have John's command. This is in verse 21, the very last verse of the epistle. If you'll read all of the verses in total with me, though, with your eyes as I read aloud, he says, We know that everyone, how many? everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him. Jesus protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's the distinction. And finally, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come, this is a real deal, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Or real, and we are in him. I love these prepositional phrases in the New Testament, by the way. We're in Christ. We're saved through faith, by faith, in him, through him. I love all these prepositional phrases. They're so descriptive. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Here's our final point, John's command. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So finally, our second point this morning, John's command is found in 1 John 5, verse 21. Little children, term of endearment, this is not a condescending term here. It's like he's saying, loved ones, little loved ones, my church, those whom I love, as I father the church, listen to me, children. Stay away from idols. This this command, it's it's sort of a gut punch that comes out of nowhere. The tone in the entire epistle almost kind of changes. First of all, it's a sentence that stands by itself and seemingly doesn't connect to the previous thought. Secondly, who would have ever thought Christians would need to be reminded to stay away from idols? Nevertheless... It's here because it does, in fact, connect to the previous section. Because for us, staying away from sin, being distinct from the world, and having a view of Jesus that is true is Christianity from first to last. And so it is for the Apostle John, and so it is for us. And because it's here, it's important, not to mention the fact that John places it at the very end of this excellent letter. Little children, in view of all that I've said, keep yourselves from idols. It can't be accidental, it's here with a purpose. In its article on idolatry, the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology states this, idolatry is the ultimate expression of unfaithfulness. And for that reason is the occasion for severe divine punishment. It continues and says, in one sense, idolatry is the diagnosis of the human condition to which the gospel is the cure. The root problem with humans is not a horizontal social problem like sexual immorality or greed, but rebellion against and replacement of the true and living God with gods that fail, which leads to these destructive sins. You see, sin is sin is sin is sin. But idolatry is about replacing God with an imitation and with a substitute that can never satisfy. Whenever we replace God with something or someone we believe will do a better job of bringing us joy. Whenever we replace God with something or someone we believe will bring us peace. Whenever we replace God with something or someone we believe will bring us satisfaction, whenever we do something like that, we are guilty of idolatry. Idolatry doesn't just take the form of a golden calf. Idolatry takes a lot of different forms. Sometimes we can worship the idol of self. We can worship the idol of physical pleasure, the idol of accomplishments and achievements, the idol of rest and comfort and complacency. Some people can go all day without speaking to God, but they can't go five minutes without an iPhone. Don't tell me we don't have an idolatry problem. Some people can go all week without reading the Bible, But they can't go half a day without gaming. Some people can go to church once a month. Twice every four months. But they can't do without entertainment apps. We can go deeper still. Some people refuse to be happy until they're married. Marriage for them is an idol. And then some people, once they're married, they can't be happy until they have children. Children for them is the idol. Sometimes people come to church after their marriage or their family is wobbly, and they go, I don't know what to do. It's not about the what and the how. It's about the why. Why did this happen? Not what is happening. I don't know what is happening, but why is it happening? It's happening because you replaced God with your marriage and your children, and there is no child, man, or woman who is built strong enough to handle your worship. We are all, every single one of us, to one degree or another, idol worshipers. We replace God all the time. I'm going to say it like this. Marriage and children, they're blessings from the Lord. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But we have to be cautious about loving the gift more than the giver. We can make idols of the gifts. In other words, I'm going to say it like this. Whenever a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Whenever a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. There are 101 idols that can be worshipped. In fact, we have such a tendency toward this fact, John Calvin said, the heart is an idol factory. (laughs) It's constantly sticking things on God's throne. And we have a tendency to do that, and we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. We were to sit down and balance The data, the time management, the money spent in the course of a week, what would our God be? Who would our God be? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Here's the gist whatever takes the place of God, what He's called us to do, who He's called us to be, that's an idol. And so Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is one of those verses that reminds us on a regular basis that we've kind of westernized our faith. I think this would be stuck in that category of impolite, abrasive, harsh. It's just, you're healing people. That is so, you fed so many people. You are so amazing. You can't come with me. Why not? Because you'll put anything and everybody between us, and you can't follow me until you hate everything else in view of who I am. Now, Jesus is not saying that I have to come home as a Christian one day and say, Mom, I hate your guts, which every 13-year-old has said, by the way. It's get over it, right? I can't come Look, I found Jesus. I don't even know what that means. Okay, what it means is I hate you. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, in view of who he is, everything else should pale in comparison. Nothing should come close to your affection and your faithfulness to Jesus. If it does, you're not ready. If it does, you've got an idol problem. Now look at what Jesus says. Father, mother, wife, children... Brother, sister, these are all good things. Sisters, eh. <laughs> eh. These are all good things, right? Family is a blessing from the Lord. The family nucleus unit, by the way, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin our kingdom family series. You're not going to want to miss that, it's going to be good. The family is a blessing the dynamics of the family can be a little challenging. But we have to remind each other on a regular basis, especially those of us who grew up in a Hispanic culture, that nobody comes before God. Nobody. Not your mother, not abuela, nobody. God first. Then you love your family in direct proportion to your faith in Jesus. Anything wrong with loving your family? Oh, gosh, no. Love your family. Love them well. But your affection and faithfulness for your family should come nowhere close to your affection and faithfulness to Jesus. Be careful that you aren't worshiping the gift above the giver. Our careers... Don't come before God. Our family and friends don't come before God. We don't even, Jesus says, put ourselves before God. If we do any of that, then we have a problem with idolatry. In fact, the Baptist theologian Millard Erickson writes this Proper recognition of God is primary. Idolatry in any form, not pride is the essence of sin. It's pretty good. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So regardless of what it might be, an idol is anything that gets between us and God Anything that we believe will bring us joy over God. Anything we believe will bring us peace over God, bring us satisfaction over God. If we believe that any of these things are provided by anything or anyone other than God, then we have what kind of problem? Uh-huh, uh-huh. An idol problem. And John warns us, little children, keep yourselves from idols. To close this morning, Ecclesiastes gives us this proverb. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And John has reminded us to close out his letter of three things that we know. We know we must not keep sinning. We know that we are distinct from the world. We know him because Jesus has revealed him. Where does that leave you today? I hope you know where you are in Christ. I hope your faith is intact, and I hope if you heard something that convicted you today, it was, an inc- it was a conviction that came with encouragement so that you don't leave here going, well, I don't want to give up my idol, but rather I'm excited to give up my idol for Jesus to worship him well, to love him well, and to have such an order in my life that I am a blessing and my family is a blessing and my ministry is a blessing. Wherever you might be today. So music is going to play in the background and I'm going to pray for us and offer you some time of reflection so that you can pray about what the, about what the Lord has said to you today. Let me invite you to pray. God, thank you for this morning and the chance that you've given to us to look over the letter of 1 John. Father, it's been some 25 messages and every message has brought to us another lesson in the faith that we adore. Father, you know that we aren't perfect, that we need your Grace and your mercy and your forgiveness Lord we cherish it but we aren't making it an idol either we don't want the things that you have God we want you may we never want the things that you could give us above you may we never be guilty of that casual idolatry Help us to focus on you first and foremost, help us to live our lives in such a way that of all the things we are known for, we are known most of all for knowing.